Well, as we continue to worship together, I'm going to invite you to find that eighth chapter of the book of Romans as we've been studying this, this incredibly powerful section of God's Word. And thank you. Many of you have just uh, talked about uh, how God has used this chapter over these past few weeks to, to speak uh, deeply into your lives. And you've been very gracious in, in emails and texts and, uh, and uh, cards and other things. And just it's just so exciting to see God take His Word and then quicken it uh, to hearts and lives. And we're just going to pray uh, even as we uh, take just a couple more weeks uh, here uh, in this great chapter that that God would just continue uh, to speak to us uh, in that. I don't know if you know the name of Art Fry, probably not very familiar with that. Art was just one of those guys. He he just, he showed up for work, did his job, did it well for over four decades. He uh, worked at, uh, in the research area of uh, new product development at the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, better known to, to most of us as 3M. Uh, and uh, in his work there, he, he had some, some privileges. Uh, one of the things that 3M did, they have a 475-acre uh, uh, campus there. And on that campus, they have a couple of golf courses, and they encourage some of their employees to use that. And uh, I think they, they hope that maybe some recreation will help in the, uh, in the creation uh, process uh, along the way. But on one particular day, Art was on the back nine of the red course. And an engineer, uh, one of the chemical engineers by the name of Spencer Silver, came up to Art on the back nine, and he began to describe this this adhesive they'd been working on. It was microscopic uh, little balls of acrylic. It it formed a weak bond, but it it just didn't fulfill the purposes that they were trying to make it uh, work for. And uh, it was was an interesting thing, but it just just stuck, but not greatly, and it didn't leave a residue when they took it off. And and they talked a few moments about it, and just neither one of them could really come up with any idea of what in the world you could use something like that for. And it just kind of out of hand dismissed it and didn't think about it again. Five years later... Art was in a choir loft. He sang in his church's choir. And as he had little pieces of paper stuck in his hymnal there, and they were turning, and I'm not even sure what hymn they were singing, but one of those pieces of paper came fluttering out of his hymnal and fell to the floor. And at that moment, Art Fry remembered that conversation on the back nine of the Red Course from five years earlier. And the thought struck him, about a way to use those little balls of acrylic adhesive. And out of that fluttering piece of paper and that conversation on the back nine, post-it notes were born. (laughs) And there's been many of us who have remembered something because uh, art had a connection between uh, what that conversation five years before and a piece of paper in the choir loft. And one of the reasons I like that story is it just encourages me. It encourages me because it reminds me. It reminds me of the way that God so often works, that God is able to connect things that I wouldn't connect, that God is able to bring some pieces together in my life that I couldn't bring together. God is able to send people and information across the path of my life and, and weave those together in such incredible ways. And that, that God can take a conversation on the back nine of a golf course and connect it to a fluttering piece of paper in a choir law five years later and kind of lead to putting those random pieces together in a way that really ends up impacting the world. And that's the God that we serve, a God who can do things and bring things and bring to remembrance things and connect things that we could never do in and of ourselves. And that's part of the encouragement that we find in Romans 8, to be encouraged that we have that kind of God. Because you see, one of the challenges that many of us face, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, I know from my own life and in talking with other people through the years is that one of the, one of the great challenges is that we have very often in terms of prayer and God's will. That sometimes we get so caught up in, in, in prayer, I don't feel like I'm doing it right, I don't know how to pray, I don't know if it's helping, making a difference. And, and then we get this whole thing of God's will and what does God want and not want and how do I find that out and how do I walk in that and all those things. And sometimes we can just get so knotted up in those things. And, and what I want us to do this morning is look at, at just some very few verses from Romans 8 that contain two promises 
two promises that are connected to two purposes that God has in our lives. Uh, But uh, just be encouraged to live out of those promises, to live out of the promises that God makes to us. The words that we're going to look at, I'm sure, are very familiar to many of us in the room. But I hope that even though they're familiar, there might be a freshness in the encouragement and even the challenge to live a little differently in anticipation and expectation because of these promises. Let's just dive in and look at those promises. The first one is found in Romans 8, verse 26. And my way of explaining this promise is simply this. We do not pray alone. We never, ever, ever pray alone alone. Look at verse 26 with me, if you would. Likewise, as he's been talking about all that we've looked at in Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for Words And he searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there's, there's, some, there's some rich things there that I want to make sure we understand. And the first is kind of an admission of where we are, and that is he uses the word weakness. Weakness. And it's not so much our physical weakness. It's that there, there is a weakness in us in this still unredeemed body and this still sin-scarred world that sometimes we just don't know. We don't know what to pray for. And some of you, you may be here even today. You may be in that situation. There's this circumstance. There's, there's this struggle. This is challenging. And you're not even sure. I, I don't even know how to begin to pray for this. I don't even know which direction to pray or what to ask or anything about it. And we have that, that inherent weakness in, 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 our, in our life right here, right now. But with that weakness, we have a partner. We never, ever, ever pray alone. And he talks about that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit prays with us and for us. And notice the description he uses. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us to help bear a heavy load. It's a picture of a heavy load. So he's talking about with groanings, with groanings too deep for words. And and the picture here is this is not... This is not a, a kind of a simple mamby-pamby prayer. I mean, I mean, this is, this is some heavy lifting here, right? I mean, when I was rereading this and going back through and studying some of the words, it was like I, I pictured, you know, you, you move in furniture, you know, you're moving in and out of a house or something, and you, 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 you know, and there's always in every household those one or two pieces of furniture, right? I mean, they're just gargantuan, they seem, and they're awkward, and they're heavy, and it's like, oh, am I going to be the bottom guy on the steps here when this is coming because I mean it's just like oh and when you're lifting that sometimes there's a groaning you know you just even can't help it because there's this heavy load and that's the picture here that the Holy Spirit comes alongside and when we're carrying this heavy load he is helping to lift that with groanings that are too deep for words. But here's the thing. He not only comes with great power, but he comes with incredible knowledge. Notice the contrast in those two verses. We do not know but he does know. We, we do not know sometimes how to pray or what to pray for, but the Spirit always knows. The Spirit always knows. So when he intercedes, he who searches all things, searches hearts, knows what's in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He knows. He knows. He searches and he knows. And, and when I think about that, I, uh, you know, our, our conversations, and some of you aren't old enough maybe to even, even know uh, a difference, but there, there used to be a time for some of us when we were having a conversation as a family or for friends, or maybe you were out to lunch with some folks or something, and somebody would ask a question, you know, I wonder why this, or I wonder what, where is that, you know? And we would kind of have a, a shared pool of ignorance there. We would all kind of give our opinion. Well, that's red because I heard da 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 da. But now, now we don't do that, right? 
Now we have this question at home or around the lunch or dinner table or hanging out with some friends or something. And as soon as we don't know, instead of just continuing in our pooled ignorance, somebody whips out their phone, right? We Google it. We Google it, right? We're going we're gonna to find out why is that red or where is that located or what's the name of that or who's the artist of that song or whatever it is. I mean, we do. And what happens when we Google it? Now, Google kind of keeps some things pretty close to the vest so nobody knows exactly the, the number of, of uh, machines and everything else they've got working here, but the, the speculation is in the millions, and so that they have this capacity for millions and billions of searches. And so when you're just typing in that goofy question uh, from the lunch table uh, in your phone, that you are setting into motion this, this tremendous search engine, this, this working thing is searching all this. And, and as I read this test, it's like, wow, as powerful as a Google is, the Holy Spirit searches the ultimate search engine, right? The Holy Spirit searches. The Holy Spirit access to everything, past, present, and future, the Holy Spirit who knows the mind of the Father searches. And when he intercedes, when he prays for you and for me, it is in accordance with the will of God. We do not know, but he knows. He knows. As we think about this promise that we do not pray alone, I hope it will maybe bring some encouragement to us in our praying. And the encouragement should be several fold. The first is we're supposed to pray. I mean, I know there are times when we, we think, you know, I don't know if this is really helping. I don't know if it's working. I don't know if it's just the sound of my voice bouncing off the walls and the ceilings. I don't know if it's helping at all. But when we come to a moment like this and we, we are reminded that, yes, we are to pray. Yes, that is part of how God works in us and through us. It's part of how God works in this world. That's why the Scripture encourages us to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean you walk around with your eyes closed all the time. It would be very dangerous, wouldn't it? But we have this continual conversation with God. And yes, it is enhanced and helped when we have those quiet moments, those quiet times where we've set aside for focused prayer. But that's not the only prayer. But prayer is that continual, ongoing conversation with God. But to be encouraged, I'm going to pray because the Holy Spirit right here, right now is praying with me and for me. I do not pray alone. And at the very front end, it just encourages me, don't give up. Don't quit praying. Even if you're not sure what to pray for right now, keep praying. Pray without ceasing. But not only that, but also don't expect prayer to be easy. I mean, come on. Prayer is sometimes is, 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 is kind of a flow of just, man, I'm just hanging out with my Abba Father. And it's just thinking... But sometimes, as you look at the Bible, prayer is described as warfare. And, man, if your prayer is never more than good bread, good meat, good Lord, let's eat, I mean, you, you, you don't know. You don't know, right? I mean, groanings too deep for words. When we hear that that's the experience of the Spirit, why do we expect that prayer is going to be easy? Why do we expect that, that, that there's not going to be a warfare component to this? Why would we expect that there's not going to be opposition to this? There is. Yes, we have one who prays with us, and he is powerful, and he's knowing, and he's praying in perfect alignment with the will of the Father, but that doesn't in and of itself mean that it is always going to be easy. We're supposed to pray, but even as you pray, don't expect that it's always going to be easy. But be encouraged. Scripture tells us prayer changes things. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer is one of the ways that God accomplishes his will. He not only ordains the end, but he ordains the means. And one of the means he uses is our prayers. That's why Jesus encouraged, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives the one who seeks finds to the one who knocks it will be opened but you got to ask you got to seek you got to knock 
You got to engage. James put it even more succinctly in the way that James so often did. You do not have because you do not ask. I mean, bottom line, there are things that you don't experience in your life. There are things that uh, you, you miss out on because you do not ask. Prayer changes things. But even as you think about prayer changing things, one of the things you discover in that journey of life is that prayer mostly changes me. That prayer mostly changes me. That God, God works, and he works through prayer and oftentimes touches other people and touches situations and circumstances. But you know what will change the most in prayer? It's you. As you keep showing up, as you keep experiencing that intercession of the Holy Spirit, you begin to understand that, that what changes the most is not always out there, but it's in here. And the last encouragement is that we can pray with confidence. I can pray with confidence in a God who is enabling, who is empowering, who is interceding through his spirit. So that I, I come and it's not, it's not about the, the cleverness of my words or the, the polish of my technique, but as I continue to show up in the presence of my God, that, that I have a, a partner. I never, ever pray alone. Jesus talked about this partnership, this helper, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all. All things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. A Greek word there is paraclete, this, this one who comes alongside. And it has many uses, but one of the uses, sometimes it would have been used even, even in a military setting so that a Roman soldiers, perhaps as they would have engaged in battle, they, they at times would go back to back, back to back with another soldier. That would be their, their paraclete. That would be the one who comes alongside them. That would be the one who literally has their back. And that, that, that's the picture here, that the Holy Spirit, when you engage in prayer, the Holy Spirit has your back. The one who searches all things and knows all things is interceding for you in accordance with the will of the Father. He knows how to guide you toward that. He knows how to bring it to your remembrance. He knows how to teach you what is right and what is in accordance with God's will. And when you begin to think that way, when you begin to understand, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not just doing this by myself. I never pray alone. Then that begins to stretch you a little bit. I love the way one author talked about it. He said, but when you tag team with the Holy Spirit, you're never out of your league. You're in league with the Holy Spirit. No one can network or negotiate like the Holy Spirit. He knows everyone, and he knows everything. Think about that. That's the one who is your paraclete. That's the one who has your back. There are times we, we walk into situations or circumstances, this challenge comes into our life we didn't want, we didn't ask for. It seems overwhelming and overpowering. In those moments, I feel like, man, I'm out of my league, I'm out of my depth, it's way over my head, but it's not over his head. If you're in league with the Holy Spirit, you're never out of your league because of his intercession, because of his empowering presence. And because of that, I can pray, you can pray with confidence. And one of the things that even just more and more coming to, to understand that reality, it's even, even just changed a little bit uh, the ways that I'm even approaching prayer. And more and more over these past months, I'm kind of just even, even on the front end, if I, I get to a point of just laying some burdens or requests or situations before the Lord, very often I'm finding myself saying, Lord, on the very front end, I just want to say, I want what you want more than I want what I want. God, I, I trust you more than I trust me. I trust your knowledge. I trust your timing. I trust your power. I trust your love. And so, God, I'm going to pour out my heart. But, Lord, in the end, I want what you want more than I want what I want. I was reading one author, and, and he talked about it this way. He talked about a, a person who was learning to, to play the violin, and they, they, they wanted to play some of the great masterpieces. 
and they had a teacher and they had learned the basics and they had some of the sheet music to some of the some of the greatest works there Uh, but they devised kind of an additional training technique if you will they bought some recordings of some of these masterpieces and what, what they began to do is they would sit in this, this, uh, this area of their home and they would begin to play those recordings. And as that, that recording was always perfect, right? It had been edited and retake all the things. So it never missed a note, was always on time and on the right note, on the right beat, all of those things. I mean, it was, it was perfect, right? And so they would begin to try to play. They'd look at the sheet music, but they would begin to play, trying to kind of keep up with the recordings, keep in step with the recording. Now, at first, it was awful, right? You couldn't keep, couldn't hit the right note at the right time, couldn't make the transitions, all those things. I mean, it was painful. But what began to happen over time is that they kept showing up. They kept rehearsing. They kept listening. And more and more, as they sat in the room playing, more and more it started to become increasingly in alignment with the recording. That's kind of the picture I want you to walk away with this morning. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. And his intercession is always spot on. It is always in perfect harmony with the will of of the Father. And as you keep showing up, as you keep showing up, maybe early on as you're praying, it'll sound like, and, and it'll be off time and off note, and screeching and all those things. But if you keep showing up and you just keep that picture of the Holy Spirit interceding for you with groanings too deep for words in accordance with the will of the Father, progressively over time, what begins to happen is that more and more your praying becomes in alignment with that perfect prayer of the Holy Spirit because the first promise is you never, ever, ever pray alone. You never pray alone. And that encourages us to keep showing up and to keep praying because the Holy Spirit has our back. The second promise is one that many of you are probably familiar with. In fact, is there are probably some of you that have this promise uh, maybe even displayed in your home or somewhere. And I just kind of want to encapsulate this promise of Romans 8:28 with these words. God is at work even when we can't fully understand it. God is at work in my life, through my life, all around me, even when I can't fully understand it. Let me read these words, even though I know for many of you they are very, very familiar. Romans 8, 28. And we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose for we know for we know and uh, let me just take a moment and just kind of walk through the, those words and, and and maybe you have slightly different wording in a translation that you have but uh, we know starts off with we know this is this is not a hope this is not a wish this is not just a dream but this is something i can be certain of paul says you can nail this down this is a certainty this is a fact this is absolutely true and you can know it you can know it not just in your head you can know it to the core of your being you can be absolutely certain of this we know we know that all things all things, not just some things, not just Sunday morning things, not just good things, not just pleasant things, not just things that I understand. All things, good, bad, ugly, expected, unexpected, those things that are painful and those things that are pleasant. All things. God is at work, not just in some things, but God is sovereign over all things. Yes, politics. Yes, the economy. Yes, Yes, your health. Yes, your relationship. All things. He is sovereign over all things, and he is at work in and through all things, not just some things. And by the way, it is God who works. It's not random fate. It's not luck. It's not chance. It's not happenstance. But it is a sovereign God 
who is at work. He is at work in my life. He is at work all around me. He is at work where you work. He is at work where you live. He is at work where you play. He is at work all around us. He is at work in all of those things. And what is he working toward? For the good. For the good. Now, this, this is where sometimes folks begin to twist this promise to make it say what it doesn't really say. He doesn't say he's going to work always for our desires. doesn't say that he's always going to work for our short-term immediate gain. But God, who knows all, God, whose thoughts are so far above my thought, knows what is the good, and he is working toward that good. He is working toward my ultimate good. It may not always be in alignment with what I desire at this moment. It may not always be in alignment with what seems to be the easiest, the smartest thing in the short term. But God is at work in all things for the good. But notice this promise isn't for the entire world. But for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. It's not for the whole world. And again, sometimes we try to say, well, this is, this is for everybody all the time. No, no, no. Paul is writing to followers of Christ. And as followers of Christ, he said, as a follower of Christ, you can be certain of this. You can know this to the core of your being, that God is at work in all things. And he's working for the good. He is at work in all of those situations and all of those circumstances. Many of you know perhaps the name of Corey Ten Boone. Corey was a child really at the time, young woman, living in the Netherlands. He was invaded by the Nazis. And as followers of Christ, her family knew what they had to do. And knowing that Jews were systematically being sought out and hauled off, they hid Jewish families in their home. They had just kind of a secret place for that. A Nazi spy eventually discovered their secret room, and the entire family was arrested. Corey's 84-year-old father, Casper, was offered asylum because of his age, as long as he promised not to cause any more trouble. He courageously refused, and he was shipped off to a Nazi, on a Nazi Holocaust train and was dead 10 days later. Corey and her sister were shipped to Ravensbrück, a concentration camp for women. And the stories of the, the brutal mistreatment and the inhumane conditions were, are more than we would want to delve into this morning. But by the grace and the strength of God, she did survive. And she would go on to share of her horrific experience ultimately with audiences all over the world, not something she ever thought she would do as a young lady in the Netherlands. But what made some of Corey's presentations unique as an older lady, she would often sit. And very often she would be looking down throughout most of her presentation. And she wasn't looking at notes. She was actually working on needlework. And she would be doing this needlework all the time as she was telling her story and sharing some of the experiences and some of the truth that God had given her. And then one of the things that Corey would characteristically do is that at some point she would take that needle point toward the end of her presentation and she would hold up the backside of it to the audience that had assembled to hear. And she said, you know, many of us this is our view of our life. And here was just this jumble of threads and knots and loose things and it, no discernible pattern at all. I mean, it was just a mess. <laughs> That's where, how many of us see our lives. But then she would turn the needle point around and you could begin to see the pattern. You could begin to see a picture of what it is that she had been working on 
along that time. She said, but this is how God views our life. And she went on to say that, you know, you don't always get to see that view on the front end. The fact is, you don't always get to see it this side of eternity. And in those times when you don't yet see the pattern, you have to trust a Romans 8.28. You have to trust a God who is at work in all things. Even that that looks like such a jumbled mess, even that that seems like broken threads and no discernible pattern at all, you have to trust in a God who knows you and loves you and who is at work in all things for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And and I just want to encourage some of you today. Some of you are here, and you're looking at your life, and it it looks like a jumbled mess. And you're just seeing broken threads and little knots and and different colors. And it's just, just, there's nothing beautiful about it, it doesn't seem right now. But can I encourage you that there is another side? And that God knows what he is doing in the midst of all of those things. Two promises. You will never, ever, ever pray alone. And not only that, but you and I can live with the confidence that God is at work. God is at work even when I don't fully understand it. And what is he working toward? Two promises, two purposes. The first one should be evident, perhaps, and that is the accomplishment of God's will. The accomplishment of God's will. So that God is at work. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. What God wants to accomplish in and through my life, God is moving us toward that purpose when God is working all things together for the good he is working toward the accomplishment of his will and so one of the things we can begin to live out of is this knowledge God I don't even fully understand it but you are moving forward to the accomplishment of your will and he tells us that one of the key components of the accomplishment of his will is the second purpose and that is conformity to Christ's character conformity to Christ's character so if you go on and read the very next verse verse 29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers what is God doing in the midst of the mess what is God doing in the midst of the jumble God is at work he is accomplishing his will that's what the Holy Spirit is interceding toward but he is conforming you he is conforming me he is conforming our character character to the character of Christ. Now, this is very often where my agenda and God's agenda differ. Because quite honestly, my first instinct is to pray for comfort. Okay? God, remove that problem. God, fix that person. God, straighten out that mess. God, relieve this pressure. God, I, I kind of like my life just cruising along here. God, I, in the end of it, God, it seems like a lot of what I instinctively cry out for is comfort. But God is more interested in my character than he is in my comfort. And God will allow me to pass through discomfort, pain, challenges, heartbreak, so that he can conform my character to the character of Jesus Christ. He is at work in all things, even when I don't fully understand it. But he is not at work for my comfort all the time, but he is always at work in my character, conforming it to the character of Jesus Christ. Well, those are two powerful promises two purposes that I need to keep before me. But how do I live that out? I mean, how do I live out of these promises? I just want to encourage you in a couple of of things. And to kind of put these promises together, as we talked about, I I never pray alone, and God is at work even when I don't fully understand it. When I begin to understand that, I begin to pray like it all depends on God. And work and obey like it all depends on me. 
Something John Wesley and others have said through the centuries. Pray as if everything depends upon God. Because in one aspect, it really does, right? I mean, I can't do anything apart from him. I can't guarantee another beat of my heart. I can't guarantee another breath of my lungs. I can't guarantee I'm going to get up tomorrow morning. I am dependent upon God for that and so, so, so much more. I can't guarantee that the planets are going to stay in alignment and the sun's not going to explode and all those things. I can't guarantee any of those things. What I know is that I am absolutely dependent upon God. And so I pray, I pray as it all depends on God, but I pray with a confidence that the Holy Spirit is interceding for me with groanings too deep for words in accordance with the will of God. But I also know that God has so created me and so created you that we can choose, that we can choose how we live. We can choose what we think about. We can choose our actions. We can choose our efforts. We can choose our attitudes. And so I am called to work and obey like it all depends upon me and it's not either or it's both and and we hold those together and we hold those in an ongoing tension and one of my favorite examples of that is Nehemiah I did a series uh, out of that book uh, a while back and, and Nehemiah just for me was such an incredible blend of uh, of somebody who was prayerfully dependent upon God and yet did everything that he was supposed to do in God's strength and one of my favorite little episodes is tucked away in the fourth chapter of Nehemiah because in basically one sentence, it kind of encapsulates this philosophy of praying as if everything depended upon God and working and obeying as if everything depended upon you. And this was a situation where they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem and there was intimidation, there were threats, there was even all this chatter that they were going to come in the middle of the night and come and kill them and destroy them and tear down the wall and all these things. And they had reason to believe these were very credible threats. And I love Nehemiah's response. This is recorded for us there. Whoop, I'm back up one. Uh, look at those words with me. <laughs> he said, and we prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. There's another English translation that's even more succinct. It said, we prayed to our God and posted a guard. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Pray as if everything depends upon God. Work and obey as if everything depends upon me. That's how I begin to live out these promises. Because God wants you and I to, to pray and to live with a God-centered confidence. With a God-centered confidence. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the difference between uh, pride and false humility and a true humility that God calls us to live with. But God wants us to live and to pray with a God-centered confidence. A confidence based on the fact that I never, ever, ever, ever pray alone. And that God is at work around me, in me, and through me, even when I don't fully understand it. And that's the confidence I am to live out of. Those are the promises that I am to live out of. And again, New Testament picks that up again and again. Just let these scriptures wash over you for just a moment more. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Does that not encourage you to live with a God-centered confidence? That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a God who is at work within you with a power that is beyond your own. And he is working in ways that are beyond even your capacity to think or imagine. That God can bring things together that you can't bring together. He can bring people into your life that you could never get an appointment with. God can orchestrate circumstances that you would never fully understand. He can connect a conversation on the back nine of a golf course to a piece of paper falling from a hymnal in the choir loft and lead you into a brand new discovery and a brand new adventure. He is at work in all those things. Paul talked about his labor in ministry, and he said, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul had a confidence, but he didn't have a confidence in his own flesh. It was a God-centered confidence. I'm going to work as if everything depends upon me, but I'm going to work in a strength that is beyond my own. I'm going to work with his energy, his energy that works so powerfully within me. To the Philippians, he summed it up this way, for it is God, for it is God who works in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When you begin to think about walking in this way, you're not doing it alone. God is at work. The Holy Spirit's interceding for you. God is at work so that more and more you begin to desire, you begin to think, you begin to pray in alignment with God's will. You begin to act, you begin to think, you begin to speak in ways that more and more are alignment with God's will because God is at work within you. And that is a God-centered confidence Oh, pray as if everything depended upon God. Work as if everything depended upon you. Because you know that you never, ever, 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 ever pray alone. And that God is at work even when you don't fully understand it. Romans eight twenty eight is one of those great promises that many folks have hung on to. But there's actually an Old Testament version of Romans eight twenty eight as well. It's tucked away in the, the first chapter of the Bible, the book of Genesis. The first chapter, first book of the Bible, I should say, the book of Genesis. And some of you are familiar with it. It's the words of a man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph did not always have an easy life. He had a kind of a vision idea of what God was going to do in his life, but man, it got, it got blown up, man. It got blown up. I mean, his brothers betrayed him. They threw him into a pit and actually thought about killing him, but they thought they could actually make some money off of him, so they ended up selling him into slavery, shipping him off to a country that they'd never, ever, ever see him again. And while there, he tries to make the best of a bad situation. He's, he's working as a slave at a home, and he's falsely accused of something, and he gets into thrown into prison. And even there in prison, he's trying to do the right thing, and some folks that he thinks are going to be his way out, they, they just forget about him, and he is just stuck there. He is stuck there. And the years are going by, and dreams has been shattered, and there's no hope and no way out. And then God moves. God moves in a way, and in just a moment, God takes him from the prison to the palace. And God engineers circumstances that Joseph could have never engineered in a thousand lifetimes. And he leverages that position in, in a way that ends up saving perhaps mil- literally millions of lives including his brothers, his brothers who have betrayed him, his brothers who sold him into slavery as good as dead. And there comes a time when they have to come and they have to get food from him. And there comes that time after he's taken care of them for years and the father dies and they know, they know, "Uh uh-oh, this is it. Joseph has the power. Joseph has the authority. He's going to kill us. He's going to exact vengeance upon us. And they come before him, and my guess is they hoped, they just hoped rather than kill him, he might just throw him into prison. And you know what he does? He blows them away. Notice his statement. As for you, he's talking to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. No doubt about it. No question about it. That was your intention. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring, about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Why is this the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament? In part because of the punctuation. You see... After that first phrase, there's not a period, but there's a comma. As for you, you meant evil against me, period. It's a statement of fact. Absolutely. But God didn't put a period there. He put a comma and two words. But God. But God. Listen to me. Don't you dare put a period where God's put a comma. Don't you put a period where God's put a comma. And the two words, but God. Oh, Jeff, you you don't understand. I've I've, I've been laid off. I've lost my job. I I don't know how we're going to provide. I don't know how we insurance and mortgage and and all these expenses. This is the fact. I don't know. I, I, I can't. There's no way out. 
Oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. This, this person, I, I love them. I trusted them. I opened my life to them. And they, they took that and they, they betrayed that. And they, they, they've broken open my heart and my life. And, and I'm done. I'm done. Are you, you weren't with me in that office. When that doctor said, here's the diagnosis. It's terminal. Period. You don't understand. I had this dream. I had this plan. And it was moving along. And it looked like it was all falling into place. And now it's all falling apart. And this thing that was so beautiful and so compelling... It's now shattered into so many pieces, I can't even find the pieces to begin to put them back together again. Period. Don't you put a period where God's put a comma. I lost my job. I don't have any income. I don't have any assurance. But God, but God can lead you to another way to provide. But God can bring some resources to bear that you haven't thought about. But God can lead you to reinvent yourself for a brand new career. God can take you in directions and call forth skills and aptitudes and abilities and capacities that you've never known that you had before. But it's not going to happen if you put a period where God's put a comma. Oh, you don't know about that diagnosis. God knows about that diagnosis. Oh, but God, just this morning I was talking with a brother and he was talking about somebody that had been, they'd gone to the doctor and they, they, they had the test and there's this tumor here and then they, they go back later and they, they, they had this, this, these tests again and, and they look at it and they said, have you had surgery? He said, no. He said, the tumor's gone. The tumor's gone. There's no evidence of its existence. But God can heal. But you say, well, sometimes God doesn't heal in that way. But God has prepared a place for you so that even if a body decays, even if you die, that's not a period, but it's a comma. It's a comma into a transition into God's very presence because God has prepared a place for you because God is going to resurrect that broken body and make it fit to be with him for eternity oh i know your heart's been broken i know you don't trust anybody i know you're so scared to open yourself up again but don't put a period there but god but god can bring different relationships into your life god can transform you god can connect you with people that you would have never thought you could have connected to before but god is not finished with the relationships of your life. I know your dream may be shattered and the piece is so broken that you can't even find them to begin to fix it again. But God is not finished with you yet. But God can give you a brand new dream. God can put you in a different position. But God can take those broken pieces and form them into something that you can't even think or begin to imagine. But it will never, ever, 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 ever happen. If you put a period where God puts a comma, (laughs) but God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father. Thank you for these promises. Thank you that we can be certain. This is not a hope, a wish, a dream. This is a promise from Almighty God. Lord, I thank you that even as we're praying before you right now, we do not pray alone. God, I thank you that you are at work in the situations and circumstances of our life even when we can't fully understand it. And Lord, I'm just going to ask just right now, right here all across this room, Father, would you, just, would you just help every man, every woman, every student, every child just to know they're not praying alone right now. Lord, would you just graciously speak not just to our heads but to our hearts some hearts that are broken, some hearts that are hard, 
some hearts that are hopeless, some hearts that have put a period where you want to put a comma. Oh, Lord, would you just remind us that you're at work even when we don't fully understand it. And I'm just going to ask you right now to take just the last few moments in this room just to sit before the Lord. And as you look on your note, guy, there's a box there talking about making it personal. And this is where we just want you to respond to God. And maybe you just need to begin to think about these promises we've looked at and just say, you know, God, they're all for me all the time, but sometimes I need one more than I need another. And maybe right now you just need to say, walking out of this room this morning, what's the promise I need to believe and to meditate on? What's the one that I need to hold near and dear over these next seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years, I don't know. What's the area of your life where maybe you've been praying, maybe you've been praying for that person or for that circumstance or that situation for a long, long time, and right now you just need to come before God and say, God, I'm going to keep praying. You want me to keep praying in this. I'm going to keep showing up, and I'm going to trust this intercession of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to trust that you're going to teach me how to pray. And, Lord, I just want to tell you, in this area of my life right here, right now, I want what you want more than I want what I want. What is that prayer area for you? What's the next step? Maybe if it even seems like a risk that God may be calling you to take, trusting, trusting that he's in the work in the midst of it all, even when you don't fully understand it. What does that look like for you today? Just going to ask you, write down a word, a phrase, a sentence or two, It's just part of your response to God. God, in light of your promises, in light of your character that guarantees those promises, here's what I'm going to do. For some of you, your next step.